Thank you, Justin. It is so good to see everyone today. And uh, we are moving very quickly toward our phase two of reopening, which will be uh, the first Sunday in July. Remember, in July, we go back to our old schedule uh, two services with um, the overflow in Brown Chapel. So that means we will be able to accommodate more than twice the number of people. It's the next step to us getting back to the place that we, we want to be. We also will be, as you saw in, in the video, uh, we will be reintroducing nursery care, child care, children's church. Uh, it's gonna be a great time, a great celebration. And uh, we just want you to be looking forward to July. Now, I want to ask you, um, if you're here, please stand as we recite the Lord's Prayer together. If you're at home, lay the waffles aside. Stand with us if you'd like. I got a beautiful picture last week of somebody that said you called me out. And it was a picture of their plate of waffles <laughs> with the screen in the background. So... I tell you, when you've got it, you've got it. But uh, let's look to the Lord today and let's recite together this very special prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. I also want to say uh, happy Father's Day to everyone. We... Um, we don't even usually preach a Mother's or Father's Day specific message. Uh, today is an exception. I felt the Lord stirring something on my heart. And I want to preach particularly to fathers. But I also want you to know that whether you're a father or not, you may not even be a man. You, you may say, well, I missed my chance on Mother's Day or whatever. But the principles of what we're talking about today are still very applicable. And I want to say thank the Lord that uh, today, I, for the first time, and I can't remember, I don't even know if it's ever happened since my kids started getting married. Uh, I have all my family together on Father's Day, which is special. I want to say uh, hello to Jackson, who's usually here. And, I, and my special guests, Seth and Lena, my grandchildren from Ocala, Florida, they're here and they brought somebody, oh yeah, their parents, uh, Joey and Polly. No, I love them and uh, brought them along. And I want to tell you, as I was leaving home today, I left the room, I was going, I hear you. I was going down the stairs and Lena, who had her second birthday while she was here, looked at me and said, Papa, you're beautiful. And I went ahead and told her, I left instructions, whatever college you want to go to, anything you need, just have your parents write it out. But I tell you, they, uh, they, they made this such a special day for me. When fathers pray for their children, 
it may sound like we're taking a detour away from the things that we've been talking about for the last several months. We've talked about during this time of forced sabbatical, this time of pandemic, somebody said, Pastor, it feels more like an exile to me. Well, I, I understand. It's been tough going. It's not been pleasant. It's not been easy. Uh, it's given rise sometimes to anger, often to frustration. We have been out of our comfort zone for about three months now, and it is very, very frustrating. But we said that as God helps us, we are realizing that there's three things upon which he wants us to focus. Number one, what are we learning? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. So what are we learning? Upon what are we leaning? That's the second thing. Are we leaning upon the government? Are we leaning upon human resources? And God can use governments and he can use human resources. But are we learning to lean more on him? And then we said, we want to talk about what we're leaving behind. And we talked about legacy. As I have continued to pray over the next few months and what could happen or how we're going to handle the next phase, and there's still so many answers we don't know, I began to realize that re-entry when we, you know, everybody says, I just want it to get back to normal. Loved ones, I'm not positive that it'll ever be back to normal, at least not the way we want it to be. I'm not conceding that the, the media dictates to us what is normal and not normal. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying there's so much up in the air we just don't know that I'm not sure that in another three or four weeks things will be back to normal. I'm not sure that in six months or a year things will be back to normal, but we will have a normal that we have to deal with. We will have a world in which we live and we're still called to be the church. We're still called to be bright lights. We're still called to share the gospel. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ does not need a perfect governmental or societal structure to survive. We haven't had one often. You say, yeah, but you know, if Paul said, if we just pray for our leaders, well, do you know what Paul said? He said, honor the king. And he was saying, honor the king who was about to take Paul's life. It was not a democracy. It was, it was not a, 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 a democratic republic. It was an iron-fisted totalitarian system. And Paul said, just keep praying for your leaders. Pray for the government. I don't mean that's what we have here. I'm just trying to make a point. He says, because God is able to move in whatever we've been dealt. He's able to move in whatever we've been dealt. Now, what's important is reentry. When we go back into what opens up for us, the important thing is reentry. One of my favorite stories is, uh, is Apollo 13. And um, uh, that's not a basketball team. That was part of the space program. When I was 15 years old, um, I felt that God had called me to preach and I wanted to go down to Southeastern. I, I mean, I was only a sophomore in college, but I wanted to see Southeastern and to see if that's what I wanted to invest my life in. My mom and dad took me down on Easter break 
And we stopped at Cape Kennedy, um, which I think is called Cape Canaveral again now, the Kennedy Space Center. And in just a few days, there was an Apollo vessel that was about to go up into space, Apollo 13. You're very familiar with Apollo 13. Uh, it's the one that Tom Hanks made a movie about and where everything that could go wrong went wrong. And we walked into the vehicle um, assembly um, building, which was the, the Apollo 13 capsule in the lunar module was sitting atop a Saturn V rocket. It was so high in there. We, we went in as visitors and it was so high in there that they said clouds form in that building. And I was just in awe. And I remember my dad was fascinated. My dad was a, was a tire man and a, and, a, and a car engine guy. And the most amazing thing to him is that he asked the tour guide, he said, how are you going to get this out to the launch pad? And he said, this machine over here is going to move everything upright. The walls open up. And he said, it'll take us um, the better part of a day to get it there but it'll get there. And uh, my dad said, that's amazing. And my dad asked a question that probably only my dad would ask. How many miles to the gallon does this thing get? <laughs> and the guy acted so thrilled that my daddy asked. He says, nobody asked that question, but I know. And my dad said, how many miles? He says, this baby gets eight feet to the gallon. <laughs> and my dad was just eating this up. He says, Oh, he said, Eunice, that's like our old Edsel. <laughs> well, you know the story. Things went wrong on Apollo 13. The uh, oxygen tank exploded. They thought they had been hit by a meteor perhaps or, or something. Before too long into the trip, the, the landing around the moon had been aborted. Uh, they weren't going to be able to land Jim Lovell uh, and, and Swigert and Hayes. They realized that it was a lost moon. They were not going to be able to land. But what they had to do is slingshot around the moon because they lost a lot of their oxygen. They lost a lot of their systems propulsion. And they lost a lot of their uh, computer instrumentation. Now, those, those early space vehicles didn't have much to begin with. Um, they had less computing ability on an Apollo spacecraft than you have on a smartwatch if you're wearing it right now. It, it, was, it was amazing that they got there and they got back. But the toughest thing, I remember uh, old Uncle Walter, Uncle Walter Cronkite, who was the main voice for News in America. He brought um, Jules Bergman on and he said, what do our astronauts face now that they've made the slingshot around the move and are on their way home? Are they pretty well home free now that they've got oxygen restored and all of this stuff? And he said, oh no. He said, the most dangerous part of the mission is before them. And he said, what is that? He said, re-entry. And he started, and I'm 15 years old, I'm trying to soak all of this in. And he mentions these terribly small numbers. He says, that's the that's the um, uh, wobble room they have. They have to come in within a certain, you know, terribly small number percentage. If they come in too steep, they'll crash into the atmosphere. 
If they come in too shallow, they'll bounce off of the atmosphere. And this is what Jules said. He said, when they approach the earth, he says, the best way for you to stand it, uh, understand it, is he said, look at this basketball and take this sheet of paper. He says, they have a window of opportunity about the width of that sheet of paper. And if it's a, a, a few, few meters too steep or a few meters too shallow, we'll lose them. They'll either crash, it'll be like they're running into a block wall, or they'll skip off into space and never be recovered again. And I was just in awe. And what I began to realize is, is that they're having to do this without computer instrumentation. They lost it. They had to do their math and they had to, to give it their best shot using manual instruments. And I want to tell you, I, I remember holding my breath while they made that final adjustment. And mission control said, it looks good. And of course, it was good. And they, and they came back. Now, you say, what does that have to do with me, Pastor? I, I, it may not be quite as dramatic. And we may have a little more wobble room than we think. But as we re-enter, quote, life as usual, we've got to come at the right angle. We've got to come with the right response. We've got to come in the right posture. You remember I told you about a, a, a statue of Christ on the cross that looked bizarre. It looked dysfunctional. It looked like somebody was drunk when they designed it. But it was designed so that when you got on your knees at the cross, at the foot of the cross, when you came to the foot of the cross, you looked up, you looked from any other angle, it looked distorted. But when you got on your knees and looked up, everything aligned. That's the way reentry has to be. Are you guys with me? You know, I know when we do live stream, you don't know if you can say amen or not, but it's okay. Um, we, we have a challenge before us and it's going to be how we re-enter society, how we re-enter service. I want to tell you, hell is doing everything it can to give us agendas other than the gospel right now. It's doing everything it can to distract us from the gospel. I know, and as important as social justice is, and it needs to be taken care of, as important as all of the other uh, causes right now are that need to be taken care of, the important thing is that when we approach the things that need to be taken care of, we must do it at the right angle, centering on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, but pastor, I'm so angry about this injustice. I'm so angry about that injustice. We ought to be angry about injustices. But I want to tell you, whenever we try to do the work of righteousness and restoration without staying focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, our efforts out of anger and frustration will yield no more results than Moses killing the Egyptian. And we've got to stay focused and we must re-enter properly so that when we keep the gospel center, everything else that God wants us to work on can be done. 
but it will never happen. A church will never survive by, by laying aside the gospel to take up something else. Whatever we take up must flow out of the gospel. So re-entry is so, so very important. You say, what's that got to do with fathers? Because I wanted to use Father's Day to help us understand that sometimes when we want to serve a grand and glorious purpose, sometimes the toughest thing to realize is that God will call us to do things that seem, um, for lack of a better term, counterintuitive. God will, will teach us that great gates, great doors open and close on very small hinges. So sometimes the church has done this through history. We think that we have this great opportunity. So we set aside our focus and take on another focus, but we don't understand that focus is not what the doors of the kingdom hinge upon. So what we need to do is understand that God may say to you, as he did to Israel at Jericho, I want you to march around the city in silence for six days. The seventh day will do something different. But right now, this is what I want you to do. And to every warrior in the tribe, they were, they were spoiling for a fight. They had had fights in the wilderness. They said, this is our land now. It's time for us to fight. And God said, no, it's time for you to walk. It's time for you not to shout, but to be quiet. And that's tough for warriors. Or at Passover, he says, what I want you to do is take a lamb, shed its blood, and the death angel will be going through all the land of Egypt. Well, what do we do? Do we, do we pick up a, a special book on exorcism? 39 steps to keep the death angel out of your house. No, he says, just live under the blood. Just apply the blood. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Loved ones, don't be surprised by this. Are you with me here? I know you've forgotten what to do in church. I just want to be sure you're okay. That's the principle behind the tithe. The tithe makes no sense from an earthly perspective. Because the tithe says... I can have more and do more and succeed more with 90% than I can 100%. It, it's, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to give away when you're living day to day. But God says when you live by the principle of the tithe, this is what he was teaching Israel. He said, you will find out that when you put God first, you can do more with less, even though that makes no sense whatsoever. The Sabbath. Now, again, we, when, we, when we get to the third commandment in a few weeks, we'll talk more about this. We are not obligated to live under the Sabbath rules that were given to Israel as a nation, but we are obligated to live by the Sabbath principle. And let me tell you what the Sabbath was. The Sabbath was not a day God said, just don't pick up sticks. You've got to understand, they lived in a time before... Um, Retirement plans, they lived in a time before savings and loan associations. 
And the average person in Israel lived day by day by day. The average person in Israel, for all of Israel's existence, if you don't work, you don't eat. And God said, I want you to do something that's crazy. I want you to understand that every seventh day, don't do the things that you need to do to survive. That makes no sense. It makes no sense. Oh yeah, it does. Pastor, I just used my credit card. Not in ancient Israel. And God used the principle of manna to teach them every seventh day. It, you need to rest. That's true. But every seventh day, God was saying, you've got to understand something that does not make any sense. You've got to understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So every seventh day, I want you to throw yourself on my mercy and say, I'm not going to work today. And God said, I tell you what I'll do. He taught them through the manna. He said, I'll be sure that I provide for you earlier or in some other way. But the Sabbath was not a day of, I got to rest. I got to rest. The Sabbath was a day of God is reminding me. Oh, how good of God to remind me that everything I need is not gotten by my clawing and scratching, but everything I need is by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these, these things are added to us. Now I want to tell you, there's another thing that God put in place that seems weak. It seems frail. It seems non-essential. It is this thing called family and the role of the father is what we want to talk about today. Something happens when fathers pray for their children. And loved ones, that's why, I know I sound like an old soapbox preacher today, but that's why there's such an attack on the traditional family. That's why there's such an attack on marital fidelity and stability because God put in order this idea, everything will remain structured, everything will remain strong because I've put you in families. So what do we do? We enter a society where the traditional family is only one type of family, where the role of mom and dad can be uh, um, passed along to someone else that it's not their role to fulfill. It's, it's not that we hate people that don't love the traditional family, but we understand that the traditional family is a core value of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Justin, can I get a little help from you there? Thank you. Now, how do we do this? My pastor told me one time, he said it was an old Henry Fonda movie that he watched and uh, kind of surprised me that he knew about a Henry Fonda movie. He must have seen it on television because the church I grew up in, if you'd gone to see Henry Fonda at the theater, you got a little card that said, go to hell, go directly to hell, do not pass, go, do not collect. I mean, I, I'm thankful for my upbringing. I don't have any problem with that, but I was just surprised he even knew anything about a movie. But it was a movie Henry Fonda was in and he was talking about how frustrating the life of a lineman, you know, a power lineman was. He says, because it's day after day of just making connections, just making connections, 
making connections. He says, you come to work and you make connections. You make connections all day, climb up the pole, you climb down the pole, and then you leave and come back to do it the next day. And in the movie, someone makes the question obvious, well, why do you do it? And he says, because there comes the day sooner or later when you connect the final pole and you have power. And my pastor said, that's the way serving God is. That's the way praying is. That's the way just about everything in church life is. He says, it just seems that you do the same thing over and over and over, but you don't lose faith because you know you're coming to the end of that line and the final connection is going to be made. And one day might be when you least expect it, you have power because you've been diligent to make the connections. Now, let's talk about fathers. I believe fathers have a special role. I believe moms do. I believe grandparents do. I think the family is uniquely designed to accomplish very special things. You know, whenever Paul began to teach the Christians about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, he used several things to compare us. The popular one is the army, you know, that we're, we're like an army. Um, and, and a lot of the prophetic movement right now is that we're an army, we're an army. And there are ways in which we are an army. But he also said that we are a body. We operate like a body. He said that uh, we, are, we are like a building that's put together, each stone for a special purpose. In one place, Paul said, we're like a field. Uh, another passage, and this is the one he used the most, he says, we're like slaves, we're like servants who do the bidding of their master, their master being God, who of course is a benevolent master. But the one that seems to bridge more of our existence than any of the others, he says, you are a family. You are a family. When he said to Timothy and to Titus, this is how you choose leaders for the church. He didn't say you choose good businessmen or businesswomen. Ever since the 1880s, that's the model that the church has gone with. That's why we call it a board. It comes from the idea of a board of directors. And, 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 you know, 150 years ago, the church decided we've got to get the best and the brightest businessmen to lead the church. But there's never a place in scripture, not one place in scripture where it says the church is led by brilliant businessmen or women. What does Paul say to Timothy? What does he say to Titus? Choose fathers, choose people who understand family. That's, that's what he was after. Whenever Timothy was saying, Paul, I'm having a struggle I'm having a struggle getting folks to cooperate with me. What did Paul tell him? He said, Timothy, treat the older men like old codgers that have done their time. Tell them to sit down and shut up. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's, that's from another version. This is what he said. He said, you treat the old men like you treat your father. You treat the father with respect. And in the culture of Israel... In the culture of Israel, when an elderly person came into the room, you stood out of honor and respect. That was the culture of Israel. He said, that's how you treat the older men in the church. He said, you treat the older women in the church like you would treat your mother. 
You honor them. You love them. You care for them. He says, you treat the young women in the church, Timothy. He said, don't think of them as sexual objects. Don't think of them in any inappropriate way. Think of them the way you would think of your sisters. And when the young men are giving you trouble, remember they are your brothers. And remember, Timothy, the Bible says that a brother is born for adversity. Now that doesn't mean he's born to cause adversity. That means whenever we have trouble, we need to celebrate God has given me brothers. He's given me family to stand with me. Family is so important. So we shouldn't be surprised when we understand that fathers play a special role. Now, I'm, I'm, the rest of the message besides the closing is just an example of what I'm talking about. When we look at the text, we're, we're going to find that God has designed the, 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 a father's prayer to basically flow along three lines. Uh, number one, fathers have the privilege of praying blessings. Number two, they have the privilege of praying specific scriptures. And number three, fathers have the privilege of praying destiny over their children. I'll tell you what I believe, and this is a sermon in itself, so y'all bear with me. But I believe with all my heart, the primary responsibility of a father, he's protector and he's provider. And now that doesn't mean that father has to be the one that does all the working or whatever. It's just the principle. He provides, he sees that it takes place. He's the protector. But one of the greatest opportunities that a father in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has is to represent to his children the heavenly father so that they can understand. I want to tell you, that drives me to my knees. When I was raising my children, they were little, and I know I didn't do it perfectly. And I know I didn't do a good job all the time. But every day I lived with the understanding that my little girls will be able to relate to their husbands and will be able to relate to their heavenly father. My little girls will understand purity in relationship. My little girls will understand the love of the father if I manifest that love to them. That's an awesome responsibility. I realized that I was surrounded by people that couldn't believe that God loved them, that couldn't believe that God cared for them. And I realized that one of my, is more important than the church. It was more important than making a living. It was more important than anything. I had the responsibility so that when my children learned to pray and they said, our father who art in heaven, that was not a fearful, cringing thing, but they were saying, God is like my daddy, only perfect, only better. Am I making sense? That's, a, that's an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome responsibility. And, I, and dads, I want you to know that generally speaking, now I'm not trying to put guilt or shame on you. And that's one thing we got to understand. We got to get rid of that stuff because we've all failed and we've all come short of the glory of God. But your mission is to make sure when your children accept their heavenly father that they understand what heavenly father is like because of you. There's nothing. I mean, my kids, my grandkids could say, Papa, you're beautiful. 
and that's, and that's great. That's, that's beyond description, but it's not nearly as important as them being able to say, I understand father God because of the way you lived. That's a, that's a, that's a tremendous thing. So you say, pastor, you're saying I ought to pray. Your prayers are powerful. And, and this, this is, this is, your prayers are so important. This is what Peter said. He said, husbands dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Why? So that she'll be better to you. So that you'll have more luck in the bedroom. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. In other words, live with her understanding how she operates. One preacher put it this way. Find out what makes your wife tick and find out what makes your wife ticked. <laughs> Dwell with your wives according to, to knowledge, according to understanding. Why? So that your prayers are not hindered. He says to us guys, he says, live with right relationships. Tweet, tweet, no, not tweet. Treat your wife the way she ought to be treated because I've given you a phenomenal gift of prayer. You are the high priest blessing your family. That is a source of phenomenal life. Pray, or excuse me, live so that when you speak a blessing, it will carry weight. Now, what does it look like for guys? You see there on your outline, number one, we learn to pray blessings. And guys, I understand I want to say two things. Most of us don't, I don't know how to say it. We don't pray enough for this to be instinctive. Sometimes we need to read a prayer. Sometimes we need to follow someone else's prayer and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you say, well, you know, pastor, I'm Pentecostal and I believe you ought to just pray, you know, off the cuff and God will bless that and God will anoint that. Well, but Jesus taught his disciples what to say. So there's nothing wrong with having a set prayer or a red prayer. The disciples, whenever they saw how much Jesus prayed, the disciples said this, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. They said, this challenge of prayer is so much bigger than us. We need some guidelines. And that's where the Lord's prayer comes from. So first of all, you see in your outline, we pray blessings. We pray blessings. And I'm just giving you some examples. I'm not giving you the theology of praying a blessing. But from the time Jeremy was born, I still pray this over every one of my children. Before I went to work, I laid my hands on them and I basically prayed two prayers for them every single day of their life. There's never been a day of their life, never been a day of their life, never been a day of my grandchildren's life that I have not prayed this over them. I just simply pray this prayer. Lord, let my children, let my grandchildren grow as Jesus grew. Let them grow in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. You say, what does that even mean? Grow in wisdom, Lord, let them grow intellectually. Let them grow in their minds with a sound mind and reasoning. Uh, let, let them grow in stature. Lord, let them grow up and be strong and healthy. Lord, let them increase in favor with man. Help them to have a good social life. Don't let them be the kind of person that when they walk into the room, everybody looks for a reason to get out. Help them grow in favor with man. 
And most of all, let them grow in favor with God. In favor with God. Every day of their life, it's never been missed. I pray over them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. These are blessings that we are given that we can follow. And guys, if you don't have a regular time of prayer for your children, this is the place to start. Begin with praying blessings over them. You may also, number two, you may go and find a scripture. There are a lot of good apostolic prayers. Um, you can follow the example of Jesus. Uh, and I pray this over my family too. Uh, but when you read about Jesus' prayer in the garden before he went to the cross and went to heaven, he prayed for three things. He says, Father, let my children all know the security that they have in me. Let them all live in the purity that is available to them. Let them all live in the unity that is available to them. That's the way Jesus prayed for his children. I love Paul's prayer to the Colossians. He said, we thank God always, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. And then he goes on and on and he, he prays for about seven things in this prayer. Number one, he says, I'm thankful for your faith and your changed lives. <coughs> he said, I ask God to help you know how to please him. I pray this for my children, not every day, but every week. I thank God that my children are serving the Lord and knowing him. I thank God that my grandchildren are raised in church. And every time they go to church, they may not understand everything that takes place, but I know the way it was in my life. When you least expect it, there will be something that's said or something that's taught or something that happens that will put a seed deep into their souls. And they result in changed lives. Lord, I thank you that you're helping them know how to please him. We've got a saying in our house because one of the little ones in our family, when somebody was mean, they look up and say, he don't love Jesus. You know, Joker on Batman, he don't, he don't love Jesus. And that's, that's one of the things when something troubling happens on TV to this day, we'll look and say, she don't love Jesus, you know. We, we pray that and we thank God that he's helping our children know how to please him. I ask God to give you, Paul said, deep spiritual understanding. I ask God to help you live for him. I ask God to help you live in intimacy with him. I ask God to give you strength and endurance. I ask God to fill you with joy, strength, and tenderness. This is what Paul said, I pray for you. And if you don't know how to pray for your children, borrow a prayer from Paul. Okay, so I pray blessings over my children. I pray scripture over my children. And then here's the last thing that I want to talk about today as far as prayer. I pray specifics over my children. Um, now this can change. I've got a prayer notebook that changes from time to time. Uh, this past week, last week I was going over it pages from years ago and I just, I sat there probably for an hour and a half just blubbering, looking at all the prayers God answered that I had forgotten that he even answered. 
but I pray specific requests for each child. I don't pray for Jeremy exactly the same way I pray for Joey. I don't pray for Joey exactly the same way I pray for Molly. Don't pray for Molly exactly the same way I pray for Rebecca. And, and, I, and I include their spouses in this. But there are special needs. There are special prayer focuses. One of them might need a job. The others don't need a job. One of them might need healing. The other ones are healthy and doing fine. There are, it, so the prayers are not identical. But uh, there are things, and I give, I pray for them every day. Boy, I've got to hurry here. I pray for them every day, but I also have one day of the week that belongs to this household. The next day belongs to this household. The next day belongs to this household. The next day belongs to this, a day for my wife. And I finally took my grandchildren. I still pray for them with their household, but they, they are so perfect that I've given them their own day. I just, I mean, you know, I have, I have need that they pray for me. I mean, that's the way it is. But let me just tell you, generally, I have several prayer lists that I go through. Uh, uh, this, is, this is something that I pray for all of my children. I pray for a life of wisdom. This is in your notes. I pray for a life under God's protection. I pray for a life with God's favor. I pray that they will be filled with the Spirit. I pray that they will have an understanding of their calling. I don't mean not everybody's called to be a preacher or a missionary or a music director, but everybody has a place in life that God wants them to serve. So I want them to have an understanding of that. I pray for them to find the right mate. I pray that they uh, will, will live a lifestyle that pleases God. I pray for an understanding of the Father's love. I pray that so much. I want them to understand. If they can ever get their arms wrapped around the idea of how much God loves them, that'll change everything about their life. That's the one thing that changed me more than anything else other than just giving my life to the Lord being filled with the spirit. It was when I began to understand there's nothing I can do that will make him love me more. And there's nothing I can do that will make him love me less. When you really come to that understanding and see how committed God is to you, it'll be phenomenal. Now, what are the lessons we want to take away from this? And then I want to wrap it away, uh, wrap it up and walk away with a, with a concept we can all put our heads into. Here's Christian life lesson number one. Some things happen when I pray that do not happen if I do not pray. This is one of our mantras here at the church. Therefore, if I do not pray, something in my life or the lives of those I love may go undone. However, if I do pray, then I connect with the intended blessings of God on my life and upon those that I love. Loved ones, please understand, some things happen if you pray. That may not happen if you don't pray. Now, God's going to do some things for our children, whether we ask him to or not, because he loves them so much. Our salvation or our children's salvation doesn't depend on whether or not we pray for them necessarily. God loves them so much that if we don't be the parents we ought to be, he will be the parents that they need. I understand that. But I'm saying, generally speaking, we need to pray because God's plan is to work in a way understanding that some things will happen if I pray that won't happen if I don't. And if I don't pray, I may be walking into the trap 
of allowing the enemy to manipulate the lives of my children. Number two, I believe the chief responsibility of fathers is to facilitate connection between our children and our heavenly father. We are not perfect. I know that I have not been a perfect father, but the goal of my life is to help my children and grandchildren understand the love of God. Number three, this is so important. We must not let guilt and shame rob us of this noble assignment. See, I realize that in this building today and probably every church in America where people are gathered, some man is feeling guilty about what he didn't do or what he should have done. Some man will be sitting in a bar somewhere today as soon as alcohol is permitted to be served. And his afternoon will be spent trying to wash away the memories of leaving his children or leaving his wife. I understand that. But this is an opportunity. Father's Day is an opportunity not only for us to honor good fathers, but for the redemption of poor fathers. This is when God opens the gate. See, I had good parents. My wife had good parents. And I'll never forget the first Father's Day I preached, or Mother's Day, rather, it was that I preached. I was in my first church. I was young. I was skinny, had more hair. Everything was great and fine and wonderful. Had the devil by the tail singing tie and everything was wonderful until I said, we need to honor our mothers. And a lady near the back stood up and yelled at me through something. I don't know what it was. I hope it wasn't a knife, but she threw something. And she said, it's not that easy and stormed out of the building and I looked at my notes. Did I, did I plan this? Did I, where's the response to this? And that's when I found out that there are people. And you know what I found out since that day? Father's Day and Mother's Day are the most difficult days on the church calendar. They're the most difficult days. Either people mourn the, the passing of parents or people, people feel guilt and shame for their dysfunction toward their parents. And that's why we usually don't preach a Father's Day or Mother's Day message. But, but we have got to step up to the plate and learn that we must not let guilt and shame rob us of this noble assignment. You might say, Pastor, my, my kids are grown. I've got grandkids and great grandkids and I've never been a prayer warrior for them and I just feel so bad about it. Well, what do I do? Start now. Start now. I, I, my, my kids won't even talk to me. Start praying now because you have an assignment and you must not let your failure rob you of the dignity and the destiny that God has for you. You know, I, I chuckle, I chuckle every time I read Acts chapter two and I tell you why, it's not because of the tongues. I love the tongues. I tell you why I chuckle when I read Acts two because the man preaching, 
Simon Peter, you know him. And I've, I've told you, I've done research. I know his last name is Chitty because we've made so many of the same mistakes. There has to be a blood connection. But uh, old Simon had been told by Jesus that he was the special target of a satanic attack, that he would deny the Lord, that he would fail him every way possible. And not only would he fail him, he would fail him multiple times. And Simon Peter says, no, I'll never deny you. Everybody else may deny you, but I'll never deny you. And he not only failed like Jesus said, he failed worse than Jesus said. He was in such a funk that Jesus had to single him out from all the other disciples at the, at the meal there on Galilee and restore him and finally get him to say, Simon, do you love me? He goes through this, Lord, you know that I love you. And he goes through this whole restoration. I mean, he blew it big time. But what does he do on the day of Pentecost? This guy that was the ultimate denier of the Lord, when he's preaching, he says, I don't want to bring this up. Y'all denying the Lord because I denied the Lord. It's easy to deny the Lord. Boy, did I deny the Lord. Oh. John, would you come up and finish the altar call, please? No, you know what that rascal did? He was so full of the rejuvenating forgiveness of God, the man that failed Jesus over and over and over and over and over. He looks at those people and he said, and you know what the problem is today? You denied the Lord. I want to tell you, when God takes away that shame and guilt, it'll enable you to see life in a whole new way. And some of you need to let go what you did to your wife and children. Guys, I'm talking to some of you need to let go what you didn't do for your wives and children. You need to make things as right as you can, but you also need to pick up this mantle of praying for your family. Now, here's number four. Well, basically, I just said it. It came out of number three. It's never too late to start the investment. And I'll tell you why. It's because this is harvest time. This is harvest time. I want to tell you that God has brought us to this place. I, I really believe this. I believe that most of us are still trying to process what has happened in 2020. This has been a roller coaster ride. This is wild. And I don't think most Christians still have a clue what's going on in 2020. They just view it as a bad year. Pastor, you said 18 and 19 would be bad years, but it'd be better in 20. Well, I said God would redeem 20. And he has, but the stinking thing is he never works the way I think he ought to. You know, this is the kind of redemption like Terry Wasden and I, when we were in seminary together, we used to get in arguments because we didn't have any money. We'd get in arguments over who was going to take the soft drink bottles into Waddle's market and get the deposit back so we could buy something for supper. We would have he accused me of being too proud to do it. The fact of the matter was I was just a better dart player because that's the way we settled it. We'd have a dart game and whoever lost had to go to Waddles with the thing of empty bottles and cash them in. But you know what that was? I'd, we'd go in and the lady said, so you want to redeem the bottles? Well, I didn't think of it as redemption. I thought of it as humiliation but to her, it was redemption. 
And I think it was like six cents a bottle. So you'd get 36 cents for every six pack. I know this is a different world to most of you, but this is back, this is back um, in the Lincoln administration. It was a while back, but that's what happened. You see, we, we don't understand that God is redeeming something in us. And God is preparing us to be a part of a great harvest. We'll talk more about that later. But I do want to tell you this about the harvest. This is what the Bible says about the harvest. This is in the scripture, and I'll talk about it in another sermon. The Jordan River always swells at harvest time. The Jordan River, most of you that have been to Israel with me, I baptized you in the Jordan River. And you know you can easily swim across the Jordan. Some places you can easily walk across the Jordan but not during the harvest. Instead of being about 30 yards wide, it's about a mile and a quarter wide. And the Bible says in the New Testament, the Jordan always overflows its banks at harvest. i tell you something else about harvest. It's not only that the good crops reach maturity, but bad crops reach maturity as well. That's why we've said it's going to look like we've lost before we realize that we've won. Because tares seem to make more noise than good wheat. And that's why we feel so overwhelmed. We say, what's wrong with society? What's wrong with the world? Antichrist would win the presidential election in any country right now. Antichrist is on his throne. But living in harvest time is a brand new experience. And it's ugly. The river has overflowed its banks. And we want to celebrate wheat, but there's tares that have grown to the same type of maturity. And this is a verse I want to leave with you. And we're going to end with this verse, Isaiah 35. Someone sent it to me this week. And I'd been reading in Isaiah, but this just, it, it just kind of leapt off the page. This is Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. Your God will come. Your children will return. The nations will be gathered. We're going to talk about the harvest a little bit later. But loved ones, this is what I want you to understand. The prophet Malachi, when he talked about Messiah coming and he talked about um, restoring all things, this is what he said in, in Malachi. It's at the beginning of your message. He says the son of righteousness will come. And one of the things that he'll do is he'll turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers. Now, I know that's a mystery to us right now, but I'm telling you, be prepared for God to begin to work in your families in ways that seem absolutely incredible because it's a sign of Messiah taking over to bring things together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beautiful opportunity to be together today in church and across the internet with our live stream. Thank you that you're teaching us things that are counterintuitive. 
Thank you that you are teaching us principles that aren't the principles we'd latch on to automatically. Lord, we feel like we need a call to this political view or that political view or this party or that party. And Lord, there's plenty of political action that needs to take place. I know that. But what you are telling us is one of the things we must remember is that God is bringing us to more elemental actions like praying for our children, establishing righteousness in our homes. Now, Father, if there's anyone here, if there's anyone listening online or maybe listening to a delayed broadcast later, that does not know you as Lord and Savior. Father, help them to understand how to contact us. We would pray with them. We'd be delighted to help them establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. But Father, I want to pray for every dad that's in this place. I want to pray for every grandparent, every mom, because in so many of our homes, the mom is both mom and dad. Whatever the connection is, may no one say this doesn't apply to me today. Whatever the connection is, would you turn our hearts back to our children and turn the hearts of our children back to parents? Oh, there may be things we need to work through. There may be things we need to forgive. There may be things that need to be done right. But Father, one of the signs of Messiah's establishing his kingdom is that children and parents are reunited in their love and in their, in their affection. Do it now, we pray in Jesus' name. As our custom is, we're going to ask our ministry team to just worship the Lord for a few minutes. You are invited here and online to worship with them. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you are at home or in a hotel room somewhere, in your office perhaps, you're invited to just find a place of prayer and during these next four or five minutes, pour your heart out to God, open your heart to Him. But if you are here and want prayer, I invite you to come into the altar area and our ministry teams will help you get placed. We, we, we take you to another area of the building so that we can have a little more ease in hearing and a little more privacy in prayer. But we'd love to pray with you today, especially if you're here and you don't know Jesus. God bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. May his countenance give you peace and rest, and may you know the blessing of the Lord. I pray this for you. I love you in Jesus' name. God bless you.